Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning. And it is good to be here. For four years, I have walked with Timothy ever since I retired from my pastorate up in the Chicagoland area. And it was like two weeks into my living in Waynesville that I bumped into him at Laurel Ridge Country Club at the Bible study that he leads there. And we just hit it off. Um, But never have I had a chance to actually be here at First Baptist Arden. So this is... This is a delight. I'm a Buffalo boy, so that means that I come from the city where the football team went to the Super Bowl four years in a row. Yeah, you know. It's my pain. I live with deep wounds and suffering. From there, I graduated from high school, went to Wheaton College in Illinois, where I met my farmer's daughter, wife, we got married. I actually, I chased her for a good three years before I convinced her that she really loved me. And now we, um, we've been in ministry, like I said, 41 years, grad, or not graduated, retired, but not really. Retirement, you don't stop ministry. You just change who's in charge. No longer do I have a church to tell me what I should and should not do. I follow the Lord's lead and Timothy spent, well, COVID got in the way of us spending time together, but we just love on each other. Um, And now um, I'm here this morning, and what I want to do is spend some time talking with you over the issue of what's going on basically in our world. And the question I want to begin with is, anybody getting dizzy? I mean, you you never know when you wake up on any given day what's going to happen, do you? And and it's craziness from COVID and the pandemic to Vladimir Putin invading an innocent nation right next door to economics. Uh, Anybody? No, I hope you're not watching the stock market, are you? Shake your heads, no, no, we do not do that. But, but it's nuts. Anybody trying to take flights, flying airplanes? Oh yeah, you're shaking your head. And, and you know what it's like, don't you? Anybody wonder where all the pilots went? I mean, we used to have lots of them. Where'd they all go? And my wife and I went out for rest, to a restaurant for a nice dinner because my son and daughter and his three children that are five, three, and zero. And um, we just needed a little space. We got a lot of it because we ordered our meal and it took a good hour for the food to come out from the kitchen because it wasn't that there was no food back there, there was just no people to make it. Again, where'd they all go? Where did everybody go? And then just... Have you ever 
Those of you who have white hair like me, remember a more divided time in our nation where we fight over everything. And it's not just the nation, it's the church. Within the church of Jesus Christ is... Just flabbergast me sometimes. You too? And do you ever find yourself wondering, what in the world? (laughs) Why are we here? What's going on? Not that we think that God's going to make everything rosy and like tiptoeing through the tulips. But you'd think God would take better care of his children, wouldn't you? And yet, hardship and difficulty. Well, what do we make of that? Where do we go from there? And I just want to bring a word of encouragement and a word of hope and a word of instruction this morning. And we're actually going to go into the book of Daniel. So do we have our PowerPoint slide? Baby, there you go. And you can see we're going to start at Daniel chapter 1 and go all the way to chapter 12. So we're going to be here a long time. (laughs) All right, Daniel chapter 1. It's a story that maybe some of you have heard, maybe some of you have not. Because if you think of the book of Daniel, what's the first one you think of? Lion's Den. Yeah, of course. Okay, what other one story do you think of? The Fiery Furnace. Yeah, so, so those are probably the two that we know the best. Here's the beginning of the story. And if you've got a Bible, would you follow along with me? I'm going to read from the New Living Translation and... Hear the story. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah, Jordan's royal family, and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He said, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Which of the three names do we know the best? Yeah, shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed we go. Okay. I thought that was a Baptist thing. No, it wasn't. Okay, now you know it. Okay, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, 
I'm afraid of the Lord the King, who has ordered you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Well, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please, test us for ten days on this diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make a decision in the light of what you see. Well, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion, tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nursed than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided to the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Okay. Lord, as Richard has so aptly said already, what we are about this morning isn't just so much singing songs, being with friends, those are precious. Of even hearing a preacher. Lord, we want to be with you. And we want your spirit to speak, not just to our minds, but to our hearts. So that's what we ask. Take these feeble words of this your servant, empower them on high, and use them to change us, that we might go out more like Jesus than when we came in. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so, history, this event, these events here, are taking place somewhere around 605 B.C. Babylon has become the dominant world power in that region. And in 605, Jerusalem falls, the captives are taken, and so we find that they're now, Jerusalem is basically nothing, and the captives are in Babylon. Notice verses 1 and 2. During the third year, King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, besieged it. Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now, Jeremiah, you're familiar with that prophet's name. 
He lived exactly at this time as well. And in his book, he tells us that Nebuchadnezzar not only slaughtered about a million people in his conquering of Jerusalem, but then did take many of the sacred objects with him back to Babylonia, as well as about 3,000 captives. He then, did you notice what he did with the sacred objects from the temple? What does it say in the scripture? It says, he placed them in the treasure house of his God. Why would he do that? Why did he just stick them in a warehouse somewhere? Or put them in his basement? Although it would have been pretty crowded for his pool table. I don't know. Why in the treasure house of his God? Well, think with me. He was well aware that these people from Judah worshipped this God, Elohim or Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever you want to call him. And he was bound and determined to teach these 3,000 exiles. Folks, I don't care what you call or who you call your God. He's nothing. He's defeated. Don't get any hope that he's going to come to your rescue. Just settle down and be good Babylonians. <laughs> he, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change these people from the inside out. And imagine the confusion. Here these people of Israel, when they were taught about Jehovah, what did they understand Jehovah to be? How many gods were there in the world? Which one? Jehovah. He was the only God. But now Jehovah, his sacred objects are in the temple of Bel, Nebuchadnezzar's God, and it doesn't seem like he can do anything about it. If that were you, would that have discouraged you a bit? Frustrated? You're like, what's going on here? Nebuchadnezzar knows what he's doing. And he wanted them to be hopeless. He was realigning their allegiance as exiles. And notice, he, he took them from their homeland. He took them from their heritage. He took them from their history. Dragged them to a new location, hoping they'd give up on what's important. But he did more than that. He calls this guy Ashpenaz, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 4. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge, good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Now, keep in mind, this is a male-dominated culture back in the 7th century B.C. Sorry, it's not to be offense to women here, but that's just the way things were. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted those who could have the maximum influence in that culture. And it would be the young men. And he wanted really good ones. And he was going to bring them in and train them. Notice it says, and train them in the language and literature of Babylon. Why? What's going on here? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get them to change the way they think. In fact, today, if a nation were to capture some of our people and they would put people through this kind of treatment, what would we call that? Brainwashing. That's precisely what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. 
He wants these guys to think and act like Babylonians. He wants them to think they're from Babylon. Huh. And that's not the only thing he did. Did you happen to notice? Here's a quiz for you. What is the meaning in Hebrew? Well, you don't have to say it in Hebrew. Say it in English. What's the meaning of the name Daniel? It means God is my judge. Okay? So in Hebrew, that's Daniel's name. God is my judge. Nebuchadnezzar changes his name to what? Belteshazzar. You know what that means? In the Babylonian language, it means Bel will protect my life. The three friends for Daniel. Hananiah. Hananiah means God is gracious. He gets his name changed to Shadrach, which means I worship the moon. How about Mishael? God is without equal. That's what his name means. Meshach means one devoted to the goddess of wine. And Azariah, God is my helper. Abednego means I'm a servant of Nego. All of this realigning their very identity. Nebuchadnezzar wants them to give up on this God of Israel, this God of whoever, and worship our gods. Come on. Align yourself. Let go of your past. That outdated way of thinking and living. That old faith system, which obviously is not valid anymore because we conquered you. It's time to come in age. Time to embrace a new reality. Time to change. Does that sound familiar at all? Has much changed in 2,700 years in terms of the way our culture works? I mean, all the craziness that's going on in our world today. The whole purpose is to, to take us away from the things that hold us strong and give us hope and security, to move us into a realm where not only is our thinking changed, but our very identity is changed. Who's that impacting mostly today, people? Tell me. College students? Yes? Because they get yanked from home, so they're away from all the things that kept them secure, that give them identity. They get taught in classes things that, wait a minute, why not? that's not what I was taught when I grew up. And even their identities? So many young people, they, not only do they not know who they are, they don't know what they are. Does that grieve anybody here? And you think, oh my goodness. And unfortunately, way too many of our Christian young people are just saying, well, if I can't beat them, I might as well join them. (laughs) That's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. But is that the only way we can respond? It's the only way through this to surrender. Well, it brings us back to the question, what in the world is God doing here in Daniel chapter 1? 
Was there any method to the madness of the craziness of these guys being in exile? And the answer is, of course, we're in church and I'm a preacher and we're reading the Bible, so the answer is yes. And basically, because I'm a preacher, I'm going to give you three of them. So follow along with me. In our exile moments, the first thing God wants to give us opportunity to do is to take a stand. Take a stand. Now, mind you, <laughs> Daniel and the boys, they, they didn't have much choice in some of the things that happened to them in Babylon. They didn't have a choice about the relocation. They were in chains, and off they went with everybody else. They didn't have any choice regarding their education because there were not home schools or charter schools back in those days. They didn't have any cho- choice in terms of their names. And as you go through the book of Daniel, you find it kind of transitions over to those names. At one point, Nebuchadnezzar pushes too far. Did you happen to notice what happened in verse 5? The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his kitchen. Now, we might be thinking, yes, so what? Instead of hamburger, they're going to get filet mignon. Instead of salad, they're going to get cheesy potatoes and other yummy things. I mean, it's good. Now, maybe Nebuchadnezzar was just kind of becoming more efficient with the kitchen supply. Well, actually, no, he wasn't. Again, do you remember in your Old Testament how important dietary rules were for the people of Israel? It actually predates Moses in Egypt. They were following predated restrictions regarding to what they ate. Why? Because there was something about eating in the food and what I take into my body which aligns me and my identity with my God. And Daniel, Daniel just said, wait, 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 wait. I can't do that. I can't just throw it aside. Nebuchadnezzar wants me to change, but I cannot change that much. So you go to verse 8, and it says, So Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given him by the king. New Testament example. Acts chapter 10. Peter is in um, Joppa. He's up on the roof of the house where he's staying. They're making dinner. And I can tell you it was not pork chops. And Daniel's getting really hungry, and he goes into a trance, and he sees a vision. Anybody remember what happened in that particular vision? What comes down out of heaven? A sheet of some sort. And what's in said sheet? Animals. What kind of animals? Unclean. And he hears a voice and says what? Kill and eat, Daniel. Or Peter, go ahead. Did Peter jump up and say... Cool. I've always wondered what snake tasted like. I, I want a good pork chop. Um, is that how Daniel or Peter reacted? No. He, he was horrified. He said, God, God, whoa, 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 whoa. None of this has ever passed my mouth. I don't want anything that will somehow negatively impact my relationship with you. And he won't do it. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Dan decides, I can't. I just can't. And, and a quick footnote here, if I may. 
This kind of decision wasn't made on a spur of a moment. It wasn't like he was just getting so angry at all these changes and he finally reached his limit. This came out of years of his nurturing his relationship with his God. And he knew the things that strengthened and guided and helped. And this was going to go a step too far. Daniel made this decision based on his history, his years. Folks, let me teach you a principle, and if you're a note taker, write this one down. The crisis comes in order to show what's inside the believer. The reason we get under pressure is so that when we get squeezed, who we really are will come out. Not because God doesn't know, but we need to know. Is this really who we are? We are under pressure in this 21st century. But what does it show about us? Are we liking what we see? Is it good stuff? Well, Daniel did years of nurturing. He just got to the point and said no. Now, he didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't threaten. He didn't... He goes to Ashpenaz and says, just do a test, okay? Ten days. Ten days. And Ashpenaz says, okay. He took a stand. Because that's who he was. But there's a second thing that God does for us in the midst of the exile moments. And he gives us the opportunity to see him work. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Maybe you missed one of the repeated phrases in this passage. But don't worry about that. I did too when I first was working through the material. Go back to verse 1, or verse 2 of chapter 1. And please notice, who gives Nebuchadnezzar victory? Yeah. See it? The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory. Go to verse 9. Now it was God who had given the chief of staff respect and affection for Daniel. Drop down to verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. And God gave Daniel the special ability. Folks, if we are willing to see it, there was nothing that came Daniel and the three guys way back in the 7th century B.C. that wasn't within his control. God was in control of everything. Question, is God not in control of Vladimir Putin? Of course he is. Is God not in control of COVID? I mean, think of it, it's crazy. What are the new variants called? BA4, BA5. Anybody feel like you're playing bingo? And and just be careful. And if you take some of the medication in it, you might have repercussions or reoccurrences. Is God still in control? Absolutely he is. If we will see it, we will see that Nebuchadnezzar did not win his victory because of his military skill, did not win victory because of the size of his army, did not win his victory because of better weapons. He simply did what God said he was going to do for the last, I don't know how many, dozens and dozens of years. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And he did it. 
also. It was God who inclined the chief of staff. Now, I'm, I'm sure Daniel's had a very pleasant, wise, gracious personality. But what did the Babylonian chief of staff give a rip about that? But somehow he connected with him. But you want to know what I think is perhaps the greatest miracle in the Old Testament? In the New Living Translation version that I've been working for, in verse 15 it says, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished. That is a valid translation of the ancient language in this text. However, I think the New King James Version is actually better. The New King James Version says their features looked better and fatter in flesh. Technically, that's what the words mean. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, let me ask a question. Any of you here ever go on a vegetarian diet where all you eat is vegetables and water. Anybody here do the vegetable thing? Okay, yeah, I said, whoa, lots of people. Question. When you were on that diet, did you get fatter? Why? Because you don't get fat eating vegetables. You know, you know, I'm going to beef up on celery and lettuce and a few carrots thrown in besides. You're never going to get fat eating that kind of stuff. And yet, the text says they got fatter. Isn't that the most amazing miracle? I mean, it's right there. You know, we think parting the Red Sea was cool. No. Eating carrots and getting fat. And then after three years, God gives them unusual aptitude, special ability. Now, now maybe they studied more, you think? Maybe they had a higher IQ, maybe. But think what Nebuchadnezzar said about them. How much better were they? It says they were ten times more capable than everybody else. Were they ten times smarter? Ten times more disciplined? See, God's fingerprints are all over this story if we will see them. And the same can be said in our generation today. God is at work. Yes, there's craziness everywhere. Yes, there's stuff that makes our stomachs churn. Yes, there's things that get to our minds in the night and we just can't go back to sleep. But rather than worry about what's going to happen here or what's going to go there, why don't you start saying, God, help me see what you're doing. Help me see your fingerprints all over. Because they're there. If we will just look. And I know that some of us think that, well, but my God, God gave Daniel and his friends some really cool gifts. I mean, the ability to interpret visions and dreams, that's really cool. Okay. Does that mean we don't have cool gifts? Let me pick on some. How about the gift of music? I don't mean to embarrass you, but how old are you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Have you ever heard a young woman like that rock a song like she did? And, and where'd your friend go? Where is she? 
probably serving somewhere again. I mean, folks, Richard, he's old. But these young ladies, I'll tell you, if you had asked me to lead worship, you would all be in pain. You'd be crying out to the Lord, how long? How long, Lord? But music, thank God for people who know how to do it and love to do it. It blesses all the rest of us. How about teachers? You know a good teacher when you hear one, don't you? Because you know the teachers who um, make you kind of fall asleep as opposed to the teachers that make you pay attention. They're a gift. It's a gift. How about administration? I am not administratively oriented. It just doesn't, it's not how I function. And I love people who can come in and organize things and say, okay, this is where we got to start and this is our objective and this is where we're going. And I go, oh, bless you. Bless you. Thank you for that. Um, people who like to work with children. How do the rest of you feel about that? Does that make you a little nauseous? Trying to be with small fry children? And yet the people who do it, it's like, Oh, God bless them. But then there are others who, little kids, give them the heebie-jeebies, but they love working with teenagers. Talk about from the frying pan into the fire. Working with teenagers, and yet they love doing it and going on retreats and staying up all night. Right up there in the booth. I mean, we would call them the tech team. What does Best Buy call you guys? Geeks. <laughs> Don't you love it? At least Apple calls them geniuses. Come on, show some respect. But don't you love people who know technical things and you can call them and say, why is my computer doing this to me? And how come I can't with my phone? And how do we get the slides to work? I just sent them these slides. I don't know if my program works with you, but you figured it out. Baby, do I love people with tech skills. But beyond that, those of you who are the hidden people, meaning you're the people who, when newcomers walk through the door, you see them and you reach out to them and you welcome them and then you figure out what, where they could connect and you find people in the church that have similar background or work in similar places or live near them and you, you just have this ability building the family of God of reaching a world with kindness. <laughs> Is that a gift? Sure it is because we know the ones who aren't, don't have it. And we just find them a little tough. But the people who have gentle, loving hearts, let's not get caught up on seeing visions. And God's given us gifts. In spite of our, no, 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 let me say, because of our prevailing circumstances, God wants us to use our gifts because his fingerprints are everywhere. Third one, very quickly. He gives us the opportunity to stand. He gives us the opportunity to see him work. The last one is he gives us the opportunity to serve. These guys took a stand and they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They also, please note, submitted to three years of indoctrination. What was the end result? Did you see verse 19? And they entered the royal service. 
Who'd they work for? It wasn't Chick-fil-A. They were working for the enemy. And yet God was going to use them in an amazing way. To the point, did you follow in verse 21? How long does Daniel serve? Until Cyrus the king comes. Who's Cyrus the king? He's the first emperor of the Medo-Persian empire, which defeated Babylon. How many years is it going to be before Medo-Persia does it to Babylon? Eighty years, people. Daniel served 80 years. For young people, to put that in perspective, you know what you're seeing on the stage? This is what 70 years looks like. It's, it's horrifying, isn't it? Imagine 10 more years on this body. And that, Daniel, I mean, so he had to be in his hundreds by the time he was done serving, and yet he did it faithfully. Sometimes, in the background, over the years, other times, profound impact. What happened to Hananiah, Mishael? We don't know. But they served the king. They went into the service. Let me wrap this all up here, if I can. What we need to understand is that the book of Daniel isn't about Daniel. Now you think, well, why did they name it Daniel? Well, Maybe he wrote it, or maybe others did the memoirs. But what we need to understand is that the book of Daniel isn't somehow giving us someone to emulate. When, when I grew up, we sang a song, Dare to Be a Daniel. Anybody remember that song? Okay. You're not old enough to remember that song. It's a long time ago. But the whole idea was, if, if you want to be a real Christian, be like Daniel. Because all real Christians are vegetarians. Is that what Daniel's all about? No. All real Christians pray three times a day with a window facing Jerusalem. Does anybody here even know which way is Jerusalem? But we do it three times a day. And so there are things that we do, we do, we do. Daniel is not about Daniel. Daniel is about Daniel's God. Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord of the universe, so that we can see Him at work in our world and in our lives. And all through these stories, it's God that's at work. So that then He can work through us. Will we do that? Will we take a stand? And a word of caution here? There are all sorts of people, whether they be working for Fox News or CNN, that want us to take a stand on their issues. Is that what's most important? Or is what God wants to do in our lives and what will keep us close to Him most important? Well, take a stand for your walk with the King of the Universe. But as you do, look for God's fingerprints. They're there. Like I said, when you wake up in the night, God, help me see you. Help me see you. I want to know you. Because life isn't worth living without you. And then, how does God want you to serve? You started at age 13. Bless you. You might make it another 80 years. I mean, I would be frightful if I make it another 80 years. That's the book of Daniel. That's the story. 
Our culture is saying, Christians, get over your obsession with religion. It's our God that makes us who we are. Take a stand, see his fingerprints, and serve him for the glory of his name. And his name is Jesus. Does that make sense? So Lord, again, that which came from my mouth, which is chaff, would you in your kindness blow it away? But Lord, that which is truth, plant it deep in our hearts and make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.